Welcome, everybody, to SCI's First for Hunters podcast. I'm your host, Ben Cassidy, Executive Vice President for International Government and Public Affairs. Doesn't matter where you hunt, what you hunt, or how you hunt, you've come to the right place if you're a hunter. This podcast will give you the latest breaking news on what's happening and what you can do about it to protect your freedom to hunt. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the First for Hunters podcast. I'm your host, Ben Cassidy, um, over at our advocacy team, coming live from Washington, D.C. It's been so long. I've missed you. I know you've missed me. Haven't seen you all since around right after convention when we had uh, our good friend Jim Shockey on. Now I have Jim Shockey's clone joining us, Scott Talbot. We'll get into that later, what I'm talking about, but there can be some confusion. Just imagine him with the red bandana on. But yeah, so excited to be joined by Scott Talbot today, um, who is Safari Club International's Guides and Outfitters Liaisons. But that's really oversimplifying it, simplifying the whole thing. He's so much more than just that. And we're going to get to hear much more about it. But first, I wanted to just hit on some top line issues, things that are boiling, reasons why I haven't been with you in so long. It seems like the world has just gone crazy. But fortunately, we are coming out of Nashville, where there was so much energy, so much enthusiasm. So I know that us as a team, as a community, as a club, we're going to be able to fight back on these threats that we're facing. But I want to talk with you a little bit about hippos, bears, the United Kingdom, Alaska, and New York. So a little bit of something for everybody that's out there. First thing up is hippos. Just recently, the Fish and Wildlife Service, they announced uh, that the listing of hippos under ESA might be warranted. Haven't been, it hasn't been warranted, but it might be warranted according to the Fish and Wildlife Service. And what this announcement initiates is a status review to see what the health of the species is, followed by a 12 month finding that could result in a proposed rule to list the hippo. This is obviously very concerning to us. Uh, we spend a lot of time with our friends, you know, if it's guides and outfitters or management authorities in countries like, say, Zambia or Tanzania, where those populations are just all tremendously robust and where hippos are hunted. Um, those things go hand in hand. Very concerning that this is being bandied about. Not surprising though, you know, we did see the United States in Panama last year at CITES Conference of the Parties um, vote to uplist hippos. Um, so we're seeing this come um, on the heels of a petition that was submitted from anti-hunting groups asking for this to happen. And rather than going into a lawsuit, Fish and Wildlife is, is looking further into it. A lot of concern there, but a lot that we can be doing right now. You know, from SCI side, from the foundation side, we're submitting all the relevant information that we can. You know, that's population surveys, trends, information on management programs, plans, management plans, uh, what's going on with threat mitigation, and also, you know, commercial economic information. This is what we'll be, you know, providing as much as we can of. I know that we're going to be able to lean on the guides and outfitters uh, to do the same. So that's HIPAA's in a nutshell. Some really good news coming out of um, Idaho and Wyoming, um, where Scott's joining us from, was last week uh, we saw a case victory uh, with, in regards to hunting bears over bait. Uh, you know, four years ago, again, a couple of anti-hunting groups, they, they sued the U.S. Forest Service um, over the service's deference to Idaho and Wyoming's uh, management tools, where they allow uh, baiting of, of bears. Um, this last week, the court ruled in favor of the Forest Service, so against uh, the anti-hunting groups. 
Um, and they said that the Forest Service does have to defer to state law. So what that is, is a big win for retaining the use of bait as a harvest method for black bears on national forests in Idaho and Wyoming. So a big win there, long and hard fought, as most court cases are, um, but a lot to celebrate. We, we do know that there's 60 days um, for the, the, for the antis to, to come back um, and appeal, and we imagine that'll happen. But let's enjoy this um, in, the, in the moment, and we'll be prepared for that fight to come. Uh, speaking of fights in the United Kingdom, uh, this is going back a little bit to St. Patrick's Day, uh, the 17th of March on Friday. The U.S. House of Commons, they held a vote to pass their trophy ban. Um, it passed with unanimous consent, and it now goes on to the uh, House of Lords. Uh, we don't know what the timing is yet. It could come in the near future, and, and we're working it like it's going to. Uh, there were fortunately two amendments that were attached to the bill when it passed and one limits the ban to just CITES listed species. So it's a more limited in nature than it was, um, when it was first written. And it also creates an advisory board to advise their secretary of state on everything related to trophy imports. So those kind of soften it up a little bit, but we're going to be working, um, as hard as we can to kill the bill, but stronger than, you know, than even our voice is the voice out of Africa, the folks that are being affected and living right with this, these, this wildlife. And I would just say that what came out of Africa ahead of the, this vote was more, um, more media coverage than I've ever seen, uh, in a positive light for, for, for hunting and the benefits it has. Um, and I know that we're going to keep up that pressure and that, that media, um, coverage will continue. So, there's optimism in the air in a very difficult and trying place, the UK. Um, and then last up, or I got two, two more. I want to go to Alaska and then New York. Um, in Alaska, at the federal level, uh, we saw earlier this year the National Park Service put out a proposed rule for hunting and trapping on national preserves in Alaska. And what their proposed rule would do is prohibit hunting bears over bait. Back to that, right? Um, it would uh it would prohibit a, an extended season for wolves and coyotes, and it would prohibit predator control on national preserves. Um, you know, we've been involved in this heavily over the years where we've commented and we, we've litigated. You know, Congress has even acted on this uh, through the Congressional Review Act, what they call a CRA, uh, where they overturned this when it was an Obama rule. Um, needless to say, you've got an administration right now that is uh, trying to override the will of Congress and put this rule back into place, and we're pushing hard on it. Comments for it closed this past Monday on the 27th. We submitted our comments um, and you know pushed for, for many others too. I know that there's been tens of thousands of comments that, that have rolled in. It's a very hot issue. Um, we're going to be continuing to, to consult and comment and push for an ultimate victory on this. And knowing that we've got champions uh, throughout the United States um, on this issue, given it does pertain to our public lands. And then back on to trophies, um, we got New York with their trophy ban, a bad and lazy bill. What is it? SB, Senate Bill 3302. Um, it would ban imports of elephants, leopards, lions, black rhino, white rhino, and giraffes. Um, what this bill is, is unenforceable. What it does is it preempts ESA. It preempts federal jurisdiction on this. Uh, we've seen this play out before uh, when when SCI sued the state of New Jersey uh, for passing an almost identical bill, and we won. Um, it's actually 
you know, cause states like California to, to have their governors veto similar bills, knowing that it would result in large legal bills and an ultimate loss. So we're just kind of letting folks know in New York right now where this one is headed. It's going to be costly and it's also, it's going to be costly for, for, for their banks, for their back pocket, but it's also going to be costly for wildlife and for the communities that live with it. So that's that in a nutshell, a little bit going on, right? Can you follow it all? If you're able to, if you haven't yet, get onto our website, safariclub.org, and join our Hunter Action Advocacy Center, where we can keep you up to speed, keep you educated on all these issues, and give you a platform to to be a voice. It makes all the difference um, when you speak directly to your legislators. So that's what I've got going on, Scott. What do you got going on? Let's let, let's get talking. Uh, really excited to have you on board today, but also at Safari Club International. Um, you're kind of a known commodity within our, our universe, you know, everything that you've done in Wyoming and beyond. Uh, really excited to have you on. Want to give you a chance, you know, to, to say hi to our audience and introduce yourself. Thanks, Ben. And uh, I think the, uh, the Wyoming universe is kind of interesting. I was just up in uh, um, uh, Kelowna, British Columbia, meeting with the uh, outfitters of British Columbia this last weekend, and about four of the six presentations had to do with what was going on in Wyoming. And so uh, um, I kind of had to smile about all the work that we had done in Wyoming in the past and and uh, the fact that uh, there's a great crew of folks that did some really good work. You, you mentioned the bear baiting, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, uh, that challenge under Section 7 with ESA. Um, <clears throat> wow, we did that back in, what, 1994. And yeah. it just seems like yesterday, it's like, we just decided this. We can't be doing this again. But uh, here we go again. And Fortunately, we have the same answer this time as we did clear back then. And, and obviously, bear baiting is a method to take and is regulated by the states and not by the feds. And so, I don't know, it's uh, pretty interesting how stubborn, how consistent, how persistent uh, some of these groups are trying to shut down hunting. So, pretty crazy. It's interesting to me, like Ben. They get, it's like uh, they make lots of money doing it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, obviously there's some there's some profit in it for them, but uh, it's just interesting to me, Ben. You, and you talk about all that's going on. Uh, um, being fairly new to SCI, just a couple of months, and and obviously as a, a state wildlife director, we worked with SCI on some of the lawsuits in Wyoming, National Elk Refuge lawsuit, and if I remember right, you guys were probably involved in the original bear baiting lawsuit clear back in the 90s, but always uh, appreciated the support and help from SCI. But now that I'm on, on this side of the fence looking around, uh, between uh, elephant comments and, and what's going on in Alaska and New York and, and UK, it is amazing how many places SCI has their hands and all that is going on. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to me. There are lots and lots of organizations that do a lot for wildlife. I mean, there's ducks and deer and elk and all that type of stuff. There is one organization that stands head and shoulders above all the rest for hunters. And that's SCI. And, and uh, I was talking to somebody the other day and I, I just mentioned to him, I said, it doesn't matter whether you're hunting a rabbit or a rhino, SCI is out there to help you if you're a hunter. 
And uh, uh, I'm very, very impressed with all the work that SCI does, the professionalism, the staff, um, and uh, all this going on. <clears throat> you were talking about uh, the comments coming out of Africa on, on the UK rule and the, and the elephant rule. Wow. There were thousands upon thousands of comments that came out of Africa and, and very, very engaged hunters and outfitters and, and the public was engaged in that. And, and, and that was probably the most refreshing comments that I've seen on an issue in a long, long time. Yeah. I mean, you got to just give it to them, you know, for, 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 submitting the comments and having their voice heard. I just think that they're completely fed up at this point. Right. Just continue to see, like you said, like how long, how far back does, you know, bear baiting go. And I thought this was resolved. Why does it keep coming back up? You know, at some point these guys have to get it right. The facts are the facts, but they don't. And they keep coming back. And I think from an African perspective, you know, it just gets really cumbersome and tiring just to just not have your voice heard and to just see, people in capitals around the world making decisions on their behalf. I mean, I bet you can kind of feel that too, being in a state like Wyoming with public lands where you have people in Washington that have never been out to Wyoming that try to make decisions for you guys. Absolutely. And, and ESA is a perfect example of that. You know, we worked with sage grouse that, that fortunately were not listed, but obviously bears and wolves were two huge issues for us. Running back to Africa real quick. And it's it's interesting to me that there are a lot of folks that have perceptions about Africa, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I used to be one of them. But the the hunting industry in Africa is so critical to the people who live in Africa. It's critical to the wildlife, but it's critical to those people. It's critical to those communities. It's critical to it's it, it's their very economies are based on hunting. And when you take away hunting, you end up with uncontrollable poaching. Um, and and those those economies and and those communities just fall apart. Um, but regulated hunting is a really, really good thing, not only for the wildlife over there, but for the people. And most folks just don't understand that. Yeah. A lot of the times it takes explaining to folks, right? You know, how it's benefiting the communities and, and the, and the health of, you know, those, those populations, um, puts the impetus on us a lot of the time to, to do that explaining. Cause we're just dealing with more and more of an urban population that doesn't have experience in any of these sorts of places or having seen it. A lot of decision makers, you know, they'll never go over to Africa and have that sort of, you know, view and perspective or never go out to, you know, the West and see how it's done out, out there. Um, so a lot of what we try to do here is to make those connections where decision makers are at least going to hear directly from the people that are living it every day. Absolutely. And you, you look at the, the importation bans in, in the UK and New York and, and um, it, it seems such a misguided effort as far as uh, what those folks are trying to accomplish. And, and, you know, if they're actually truly interested in wildlife conservation and the peoples that live in those countries, they should be supporting hunting rather than, than being obstructionists. And it's just, it, it's amazing to me how important that hunting is in those communities. Obviously, in a place like Wyoming, hunting yep. is unbelievably yep. important. It's one of the, the top economic drivers in our state, wildlife, recreation, and hunting. So, Absolutely. 
So you mentioned that you were just up in BC. Have you gotten to visit with, you know, guides and outfitters from all over the world? I mean, that's, that's awesome. Not yet. I'm, I'm working on it though, Ben. I've, you know, I, I've visited with outfitters from all over the world, but I haven't been to their uh, annual general meetings or anything like that. But this was uh, British Columbia. I went up to their annual general meeting and, and sat in with those folks, introduced myself and, and listened to their issues, what they're dealing with. And, and uh, unfortunately, this government theme seems to go from country to country to country. And it's, yeah, it's I was gonna. To- I was gonna say, you know, last year I went over to Europe for a European hunting like advocacy conference. And if you just like blindfolded me, not told me what room I was in, I could just take context from what they were facing, whether it was predator control, human wildlife conflict, bans on traditional ammunition, I would have probably just guessed I was still in Washington, D.C., you know, just up the road. But no, you know, I was over, you know, in it was in Poland, you know, where these things were coming up. But it's just those same it's the same issues no matter where you go. It's the same people on the other side with the wrong ideas trying to be louder and push harder than we are. I mean, do you really see that too from like, I know that you've gone to all the different places, but you have visited with different guys and outfitters from all over. Is there sort of that shared threat? It's it's unbelievable, Ben. And you described it actually quite well. I mean, if you talk to outfitters from, I've talked to outfitters from Australia, from New Zealand, from Asia, from all over Africa, Canada, the United States, Alaska, and uh, it's the same thing. It, it's it, it comes back to those same issues about dealing with government and whether it be guns or ammunition or closures or like you mentioned, predation is a huge issue. And, and it's been an issue that the states have managed. And, and now you look at states like Alaska where, where the federal government has decided they're going to intervene and, and predator control programs that have been successful for decades. And, yeah. uh, it, it, it's, it's astounding actually, Ben, how similar those discussions are from Argentina to, to, uh, Europe. Um, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. And I think, you know, like, I think you put it really well on, you know, who SCI is, but I think it really gives us a different vantage point where we're, we're seeing all these things bubble and, and pop all over the place kind of gives us that context of, you know, how it's the same, you know, fight, just a different place. You know, I, I was looking at, you mentioned the, the, the elephant rule. So last Monday, uh, the Fish and Wildlife Service comment period closed um, for a proposed rule that was shut down elephant imports from a number of countries. And, you know, I look at that as kind of being like that rule is sort of being like Mad Libs, right? Like you could just take out the country and put a different species in there, take the country out put a different country in there. And, you know, I think that's why it really does like relate, you know, on, on our, on, on this issue to any hunter, right? Regardless of, of what your opinion is or, or your, you know, future plans are to go visit say Africa, it's just where like a threat starts, right? I think on the anti side, they would see that as low hanging fruit. But why won't that just jump to say ducks, right? And people say that's Absolutely. crazy. They'll never see ducks under threat. But look over at Australia. Look at you know 
Victoria at their level. You know, they've shortened their season. It's a late start. It's an early finish. They've created a task force to decide whether or not they should even have, you know, hunting or recreational hunting, as they'd call it. Um, and that's going to be loaded with, with antis. It's a, you know, inside job. I mean, that's a real, it's really happening right now. And it's just foolish for anyone to think that it couldn't ever happen in our backyard. I think people at the end of the day forget that hunting is not a right, right? It's a freedom Absolutely. that we have, freedom you fight for every day, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, for that elephant rule, it's like anyone anyone that, that, that has the baseline agreement with us can get behind it, where it's, you know, verify and trust the science, consult with the local management authorities and the communities, and then get out of the damn way, right? Um, Absolutely. And I've got it. Yep, go ahead. It was just interesting to me being up in British Columbia, and that's fresh in my mind right now. But, you know, uh, uh, what was it, six years ago, uh, British Columbia just closed the, bear, the grizzly bear season. And and biologically, there's absolutely no reason whatsoever to, to uh, um, quit hunting that population. Huge economic impact to those those uh, outfitters up there. But but um, the the new government just said, we're going to close it. And they closed that season uh, for the hunting of bears. And, and sitting in that room, talking to those outfitters and, and listening to them. And, and there, were, there were folks from forestry and, and what we call game and fish there. And, and talking to those outfitters, they don't know what their quotas are from year to year. And, and that, that governmental overreach that you're talking about in <clears throat> Australia and New Zealand, Ben, is, is just like that in Canada. And, and it just astounded me that that an outfitter has a quota one year and it changes and and most generally goes down or is eliminated, uh, rarely ever goes up. But uh, if you look at the North American model of wildlife management and and how we set objectives and how we involve the public landowners and land management agencies and hunters and 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 everybody who wants to sit at the table and and we come up with a scientific um, um recommendation to manage wildlife and it's it's so um from my perspective it's so transparent that it's it's comforting and you sit there next to an outfitter and he said they cut my they cut my quota by two sheep this year and i don't know why and and nobody talks to those folks there there's very little opportunity for their input and anyway i look at that and i look at our system and i think wow we are really, really doing good in this country when it comes to uh, a public being engaged and involved in, in the management of our wildlife. Absolutely. Don't take that for granted, right? <laughs> I didn't think so, but obviously there's some folks that would love to have that process throughout the world. Yeah, absolutely would. Um, but our process still has some, you know, some kinks and flaws to it. And you made me think of it with talking about you know, the grizz season being closed, you know, flying that decision, flying in the face of the facts and the science. What do you make of what's going on out West and around the country with wildlife commissions at the state level? What we're seeing a lot of are, you know, anti-hunters maybe, or just folks that have never hunted or fished before being appointed to these commissions where decisions are ultimately made regardless of what a DNR says is the right thing to do for the habitat, for the species. 
Have you been tracking all that? Do you have any opinion on it? Of course I've been tracking that to some degree, <laughs> man. And, and, you know, I, I, once again, I sit and I look at uh, uh, Wyoming and, and some of uh, uh, the more conservative states, and, and we're doing great. I mean, mm-hmm. we've got commissioners that are involved and engaged and care about wildlife and care about people, and they're doing their jobs. Unfortunately, further to the south and to the west of us, we have very, very politically oriented uh, governments, uh, governors that have appointed uh, folks, just like you're saying, anti-hunters, people who are, are preservationists, not conservationists to those commissions. And and I think you can look at that process right now in Colorado. And it's, it's from my perspective, it's, it's a mess to start with, but, but then it's, you, you have, you have species and, and agencies that are, are proficient and and do a very good job at management and their recommendations are not being followed. And and those plans are being altered by those folks as as far as what the future management of it is and and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. But yeah, there are a couple states that that your observation about commissions is is certainly matches mine. So let's you know, get one back of the things to... that I find really interesting, Ben, and, and yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about it right now, is as you talk about um, um, public management, Endangered Species Act, and and obviously last week we had some bills in, in front of uh, Congress that uh, uh, were testified on as far as uh, taking wolves and bears off the Endangered Species Act. And, uh, you know, you, you look at a, a process and, and the Endangered Species Act, in, in my opinion, is a very well-written law. And, and when we were talking about ESA reforms, um, I'm not sure that I would reform ESA at all. I think the problem with ESA is, is that it has so much opportunity for um, administrative finagling and and it is written to the point where the administration of the act can be so different and if you take just a, a handful of species in Wyoming let's start with peregrine falcons go to Wyoming toads uh, black-footed ferrets uh, grizzly bears and wolves and look at the ESA Ben and you look at things like designated critical habitat uh, delisting rules, how those have all been applied to those five different species. You can't tell it's the same law. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, delisting the uh, peregrine falcon literally was a snap. Why is it so difficult to delist the grizzly bear? And, and um, uh, um, there's, there's um, um, the, the judicial... There was some testimony the other day on on judicial review, but why is it so difficult to delist the grizzly bear as as easy as it was for us to recover and and delist the peregrine falcon? And and you heard no, no two species are created equal, right? In the eyes of the ESA, though, or the, in the eyes of the administrator, it's the same law, man. It's the same I know. law, and 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 there there is but, so much. But won't it won't it re- won't it require? Wouldn't it require some sort of reform to be able to get it to do what it's supposed to do and to be able to recover? And, and I look at it as, as leadership and, 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 and there is so much administrative um, 
I, I don't know. There's, there's the the act is administered so much differently for different species. That sometimes I can't. Yeah, and maybe we do need to reform the act and take away that administrative ability. But you know, if that is applied appropriately, I, I mean, it worked great for the peregrine falcon. Why didn't it work for the wolf and the grizzly bear? And I, and I see, I see um, um, high level officials with the U.S. Fish Wildlife Service insisting that judicial review is necessary. And I, I have to ask myself, why is judicial review so necessary in their eyes? Well, Ben, you can look and I can look at how successful these groups have been at court shopping. And they find a judge that is sympathetic to their issue. And, and we can go back to the white bark pine issue on grizzly bears. And, and white bark pine, we had blister rust and we had uh, mountain pine beetle come in and, and those populations so that that food source declined precipitously through the, through the Yellowstone ecosystem. And, and you have to realize that some years white bark pine produce very little or no mass anyway. And on those years, bears simply find different food sources. So we go to court and the court says, you have not done an adequate assessment on white bark pine. So we spend another three years doing an assessment on white bark pine. And we find that, you know, on, on good mast years, it's an important food source. On bad mast years, it's not an important food source. And grizzly bears being omnivores that they are, simply go find another food source. Population does not track with white bark pine production, and and so the issue goes on. But we just lost another three years in the delisting process because we were able to to sue in a court where we knew we had a a, a friendly judge to those perspectives. What do you see with with with, with grizzly in Canada? You, we started this talk off talking about their season being closed and like from your talks with guides and outfitters up there, I mean, are there, is there any chance of getting that back open? You, you mentioned other places don't have the same sort of transparent, you know, comment periods and input from communities. You know, is, is there hope for, for us to get the facts out in front of the government up there and see that open back up? I wouldn't be optimistic on that, Ben. And the reason I wouldn't be is, is that that, that season was simply closed administratively in BC by by the government that is still there right now, and and if there's a change in government, absolutely. I, biologically, uh, hunting of grizzly bears in in BC is absolutely warranted. But when you have uh, a government that comes in and and says no, we're not going to do that, um, and at based not based on the science, not based on the biology then you have to wait for something to change in order to 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 make those changes yep. happen in a society so i would not be optimistic about that but i certainly hope that that those bills that we were talking about in congress last week uh grow some legs and start moving forward uh obviously uh grizzly bears in both the northern continental divide ecosystem and the greater yellowstone ecosystem have exceeded the recovery criteria manifold and and there's bears occupying areas far beyond the recovery zone uh lots of nuisance conflicts with humans and and those populations um clearly 
warrant uh, state management. It's it's the same with 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 uh, gray wolves and and totally. to turn those over to the states and have the states manage those species. I think is is absolutely appropriate. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, you know a lot of it goes back to you know like like in, like in the U.S. or in Canada, you know, elections have consequences, right? That's where you're going to get the change is the governments that are in place. And I think what you see in the United States is, you know, we have a new a turnover in the House of Representatives. You have a chairman like Bruce Westerman who is a hunter. Then you see priority issues actually come up and get hearings like delisting grizzly, like delisting gray wolves, you know, within the first quarter of the year for this new Congress. So it's, it's, it's awesome to be able to see, you know, folks in power right now that had that same view of a working ESA, you know, a fair ESA, you know, that doesn't apply differently to, you know, different species. Um, I, I think, I think that's where the difference is made. I think when you talk about, go back to, you know, commission makeups for a lot of these, you know, states like Colorado, it's like elections have consequences. The governor that's, you know, appointing these folks to these commissions. So I think it's like a big part of what we do at SCI too is getting involved in races um, heavily um, in order to be able to make sure that folks that understand the science are going to represent the communities and the science are in a place to make those decisions. Absolutely. So tell me with like uh, guides and outfitters, how does their perspective, how is it different than, than your average run of the mill hunter's perspective, you know, and, and, and how can we do a better job of, 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 of hearing and, 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 and helping out the guides and outfitters? I mean, I've got, I've got my own thoughts, but I, I, I'm really curious about, about, what, about how you see it. You know, Ben, to answer your question, certainly hunters want to be out in the field and want to be in enjoying themselves and being successful and and uh, um, enjoying family and all the things that that we hunt for. And and the outfitters, you know, they you know, I was just in, in Canada. So obviously license quotas, availability for hunts and and that type of thing are are critical to the success of their business. And obviously they have to keep uh, in the black or they're not operating and they're not providing, providing services. And, and you look at some areas in, in Wyoming, you look at some areas in um, Colorado, you look at areas in British Columbia without outfitters to, uh, to support hunters in those remote backcountry settings. It, it would very much reduce the number of hunters that are able to access those areas yep. Um, yep. safely. And, and you know, I, I was fortunate. I grew up on a ranch. Uh, we always had a, a corral full of great horses. All we had to do is jump on a horse and take off. And it didn't matter if it was 10 or 30 miles later, we'd go hunting. And, and there's not a lot of people that have those type of resources at their, at their advantage. And, and so the outfitters provide those services, uh, not only to help promote recreation, but to help uh, manage wildlife in a lot of cases. And so um, <clears throat> those guys and, and gals that are in those professions are, are, are trying to stay solvent and, and, and move forward with, 
of um, making economic sense of it. And and obviously, you and I, we don't make much economic sense when we hunt. We just go hunting. And that's yep. the yep. way it is. And if it costs a lot, it costs a lot. If it doesn't, it still costs a lot. And we just tell ourselves it doesn't. <laughs> 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 I, I mean, if you, if you look at the turkeys you've put in the freezer this year, if you went down to the store and just bought a turkey, right. uh, it's not near as much fun. But when you're looking yeah. at dollars and cents, um, hunting, hunting can cost a lot of money. And and so anyway, you're, you're yeah, looking like at all, an economic. All game diet, an all game diet would just put a Whole Foods to shame, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> there you go. But anyway, you got these people that are out there and, and you know, they're, they're trying to figure out the processes, the, the changes, like, like we were talking in British Columbia quotas and, and, and making ends meet. And I mean, if you look at Alaska, and the amount of land that has been shut down to hunters in Alaska and, and uh, what is it, almost two-thirds of the state now? Um, it has numbers. to be. It, it, it's unbelievable. And when you see that map about how much has been closed, um, those outfitters up there, um, they have to obviously increase their, their rates and, and, and expand their operations in order to stay in business. So, yeah. uh, yeah, they have a, they have a lot different perspective on, on how it's going. It's, it's interesting in the West right now, uh, particularly with deer, elk and antelope that the demand for those species and then especially with the winter that we've had in in the central rocky mountains this year opportunity for those species is going to be significantly reduced probably for the next several years um, i read yesterday that colorado is looking at a 40 percent decline in and deer and antelope uh, tags for next year wow. and uh, the Wyoming Game and Fish Commission will be meeting um, um, the latter third of of April, and I would not be surprised to see a large portion of the state of Wyoming see similar cuts. And so, um, that that those licenses that are available uh, are going to decrease significantly. The demand for those licenses is is absolutely through the roof right now, and. And fortunately, elk are a pretty resistant animal, and there should still be a fair amount of elk opportunity for outfitters and hunters alike. But uh, um, it's going to be tough in the in the mid Rockies in the next couple of years. Lots to be done. Um, well, hey Scott, it's been awesome having you on here. Uh, before we do go, though, I did promise the listeners that you know I would explain what was going on with the Jim Shockey reference, but I want you to do it. Just tell me about your experience in Nashville. Of course. I think it's hilarious. You tell it better than I do. So so you just have to realize and and most folks probably don't know what a resist all black gold is, but it's a a very nice uh black western hat. And uh uh they look very, very similar and and when I walked into convention and uh uh, Nashville. Uh, I had been there a whopping maybe 30 seconds and some guy runs up and grabs me by the arm and says, Jim Shockey, it's so glad to meet you. And I said, where is Jim, by the way? And, so, <laughs> and anyway, he wasn't standing too far away. So we actually both kind of got a laugh out of it. But uh, there was uh, more than one person that thought that we looked uh, very similar. 
So, That's so good. I'm, and, and I told Jim I'm not going to be wearing the red bandana. That's his. But <laughs> That's where you draw the line. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's awesome. Well, use it to your advantage. Um, <laughs> God, right. So good having you on. Really appreciate everything that you're doing. I think that it's really incredible to be working with you. And I know that, you know, the guys in Outfitters have a real resource um, and champion being able to work with you. I'm jealous. I think you've got the dream job. You're going to be having some tough conversations in some really cool places, you know, and you're a problem solver. So it's good. It's great. Well, I can't tell you how much uh, I've enjoyed it so far and how much I look forward to all the challenges and, and the roads and the, the places and, and the things to come. So uh, I'm very excited about it and look forward to it. And, and uh, let's play. Amen. Let's play. You heard it here first. Okay, everybody. Thanks for joining me and Scott on the First for Hunters podcast. I hope you all enjoyed this one. If you did, give it five stars. Hit the like button, whatever it takes. But get out there. I don't know what you're doing. Listen to us right now. You should be shooting your gobbler. I Hopefully, it's it's open season where you are. I know Scott's itching to, to get out there. You can hear him out the window, Ben. You hear him right now? A little distracting. <laughs> You're like, get me off this call. I'm scouting. I think Scott actually has a challenge with our staff to, of who can get the biggest backyard bird because he thinks he's got the bigger ones, but Chris Lasavita might have better. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how the season turns right. out. Yeah. All right. Thank you.